we were away in India with uh, Joe Daniel. You've probably heard a little bit about that. Um, uh, we'll give a bit more of a report back on that um, over the coming weeks, but it was an amazing trip. And um, uh, the ministry out there um, continues to expand. And what they have done with the little that comes out from here is quite extraordinary. And uh, we were humbled by seeing all that um, uh, the church there has been a part of and looking forward to our continued relationship with them. And then uh, came back and we were here just for one week and um, I came to the 8 o'clock and was just at the beginning of the 9.15 but then went off because um, we were going into... Uh, St. Paul's Cathedral that day for um, lunch with the Bishop of London and then uh, being made a prebendary of St. Paul's Cathedral and um, most of you are thinking what on earth is that? <laughs> I've got no idea <laughs> but it's, it's lovely it's a, a lovely honour um, that they um, give to certain people and I'm not quite sure what they gave it to me um, what, so it's great to be here and then we were away on holiday, Lindsay and I and uh, three of our children went to um, uh, have our summer holiday and so we've been to Lanzarote for a week and it was just glorious sunshine uh, which was rather special. One of the things that uh, uh, I did on holiday was read lots of books, five of them actually, but one of them I uh, love to recommend, um, this is called uh, Jesus Is by Judah Smith. Um, it's um, uh, Judah leads the church in um, Washington um, and uh, uh, he did a campaign as a church um, basically they put billboard posters up around the area um, took out adverts and just put in there said Jesus is and left it blank and they did a website with it and people could write whatever they wanted and he collated some of that together and um, he's written this book, Jesus Is, and it's really great, actually. It's such an easy read. Um, uh, you can read it in probably a couple of sittings, um, but um, I would love to recommend that to you. It's a terrific one of, those, uh, one of those books that's worth picking up. One of the things that's common to all of us, it's common to you, it's common to me, it's common to everybody around the world, wherever they are, whatever they're doing, and whatever situation they're doing, is this is uh, that we are all in relationships. And some of our relationships are delightful and things go swimmingly in them and some of our relationships could cause us uh, a little more difficulty and perhaps stretch us in different ways. You'll have relationships in your home, relationships in your work, there'll be relationships with your extended family, with your friends. Um, you and I know that sometimes those relationships can be a blessing at other times, they can be difficult for us. And the truth is this. When relationships are bad, life sucks. That's true, isn't it? When relationships are bad, everything feels as though it's got a cloud over it. When relationships are bad, it feels like a rainy day. You can have lots of money in life. You can have lots of opportunities in life. But if relationships are bad actually it doesn't bring a smile to your face we're in the book of James and James is writing to the church and he's writing the church with this message he's basically saying be mature that's his message 
He's saying, look, look, don't just talk about these things. Don't just say you believe in these things. He's saying, find maturity in your life. And maturity in the Christian life is actually about action. He's saying, look, look, it's about what you do with your tongue. Do you remember he says that at the beginning? It, it, it's, it's actually about listening to God and doing what God calls you to do. M- maturity in life is really important. And one of the areas that he writes on is maturity in relationships. And I got to today's passage as I sat down to prep it and I got to one verse and I couldn't quite get past it. So I'm going to just speak on that one verse today. And, and, and this is the verse after it. It says this. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. In the context of relationships. We all have an opportunity in every relationship we're in, we're sowing seeds. In every relationship. In every interaction we have with somebody else, we sow a seed. So I can have an interaction with you and I can leave your life feeling ghastly or I can leave your life as a blessing. So we can, we can sow a seed in somebody's life in every relationship we have. And, and James is saying, look, the mature Christians, those who seek maturity, those his plea to the churches, those who would, who would go after God, they're to be people who are peacemakers, who sow seeds of righteousness in other people's lives. And he says that what we need for this, what we need for this, if we're to be people who sow seeds of righteousness, is we need wisdom. Wisdom is what we, can, we need to learn to help us to react and live with people in the right way. And I would be the first person to say, I need wisdom in relationships. I think that relationships are the most beautiful things in the world and they are the most complicated things in the world. They bring the greatest blessing and they're complex in every way. I so often mess up. Uh, I say the wrong thing or I do the wrong thing and uh, maybe even some of you here this morning are thinking, oh gosh, Mark's speaking on relationships. What's he know? Well, if I've hurt you in any way, please do forgive me. But, but it seems to me that in relationships, common sense isn't quite as common as we'd wished it would be. And, 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 and actually, we all, we all in a, so often step over the line when we shouldn't do. We say the wrong thing in the wrong way at the wrong time or we say the right thing in the wrong way at the right time or whatever it might be and it all goes pear-shaped. And James does three things in this passage. He defines what wisdom is. He, he shows how it differs from human wisdom and he details how it operates in human relationships. He begins this in our reading. He says, if you're wise and understand God's ways... Prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. The first thing that James says is this, wisdom is a lifestyle. Wisdom is a lifestyle, he says. 
It's nothing to do with your intellect. It's nothing to do with your background. It's nothing to do with your education. It's nothing to do with your life experience. It's a lifestyle. It's got everything to do with your relationships and your character. If he came to St. Paul's this morning and he said, hands up those who are wise, and some of us put our hands up, he'd say, okay, now prove it to me by the way in which you live it out in your life. Show me wisdom through your life's work. Show me wisdom through your relationship. Show me wisdom from your everyday activities. It's not a matter of what you say with your lips, but how you live with your life. In fact, that shows how wise you really are. It's your lifestyle. And he goes on like this in verse 14. He says, But if you're bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. So basically he's saying, look, true wisdom is this. True wisdom is a lifestyle. It's lived out. It's someone who lives out good relationships with others. And he's saying human wisdom, human wisdom is actually a flawed wisdom. And you'll see that such things, he says, are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. And within them they have jealousy and selfishness. Lack of wisdom causes all sorts of disorder chaos and confusion in our lives if our life is a mess it's normally because we lack wisdom and I guess that many of us would admit that parts of our lives are not quite as we would like them to be if if you if you said to me Mark my life is swimming along wonderfully all my dreams have come true I'm living in the perfect righteous life with God I wake up in the morning with the angels singing. I go to bed at night sitting next to Jesus. Everything is absolutely perfect. You come speak, I'll sit down. But the truth is most of us muddle along in some sort of mess. Most of us are just trying the whole time to sort it out and work it out on a day-to-day basis. And James, James says this is really important. And I want us to have a look with him this morning at our lives and relationships. Because I think that this is really important. James is basically saying this because he's, he's writing the church and he's saying, look, people outside the church should be able to look inside the church and see people living in such harmonious relationships but by their love for one another, they, we would know that they are Jesus' disciples. So our relationships with one another is really important. And maturity says we'll work on those, but it's not just about putting on your Sunday best and coming to church and being a good Christian. He's saying actually it's the everyday relationships and the everyday interactions that we have that it's as it's lived out in our homes and in our work and with our extended family and with everybody else that's what really matters and this is the verse that we got to verse 17 and this is where I got slightly uh, stuck this, this week as I was looking at this he says this but wisdom from above so that's what we're after true wisdom is this he says it's living a life that is honourable and doing good works. That's true wisdom. Human wisdom, he says, is jealous 
and bitter and selfish, but wisdom from above, he says. Now that's what we're after. He says this, wisdom from above is first of all pure, it's peace-loving, it's gentle at all times, willing to yield to others, it's full of mercy and good deeds, and it shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. So those who live with wisdom from above will sow good seeds in other people's lives and reap a harvest of righteousness. And when I got to that, I sort of tripped up on it. I thought, okay, I can't quite get past this, so I'm going to reflect on this in our relationships together. So number one, if I'm wise in my relationships, according to this, from my wisdom from above, number one, I'm going to seek purity. I'm going to seek purity. We're going to be simple, simply genuine in our lives. If I'm wise, I'm not going to lie to you. If I'm wise, I'm not going to cheat you. If I'm wise, I'm not going to manipulate you in any way. If I'm wise, I'm not going to be deceitful. If I'm wise, I will be a person of integrity. If I'm wise, I will be honest, truthful, and sincere in our relationships together. If we don't have honesty in our life, then no one's going to trust you. James says that wisdom is all about purity. The person of integrity walks securely and if we're wise in our relationships then we will be that person that's wisdom from above number one seek purity number two he says this person who seeks wisdom from above will be a person of peace but the wisdom that is first that is from above is first of all pure it's also peace loving You know, wise people work at maintaining harmony in relationships. They're not looking to make the other person angry or have a fight. They're rather looking at themselves and asking, what am I doing wrong in my life? Proverbs 20 says this, any fool can start an argument. The wise thing is to stay out of them. A wise man controls his temper. He knows that anger causes mistakes. If we want harmonious relationships around us, we'll communicate and act in such a way that we'll bring peace into those relationships. And James is saying, of course, those outside the church will look in and go, gosh, look at those Christians who live in peaceful relationship with one another that's why when there's discord in the church that's why when there's churches that split and do different things it does so much damage not just to the relationships within the church but it does so much damage to the body of Christ because it damages who we are as we seek to reflect our Lord and Saviour when Linz and I speak about relationships we have three things that we um, uh, bring out. Uh, The first is this, uh, that actually never, you don't ever compare your relationship with another. So so don't ever say, oh, you're you're not like, you know, my mum, or or why are you like your mum, or, you know, whatever it might be. 
Or, 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 you know, why can't you be like so-and-so? Never compare. To compare just does damage in a relationship. Never compare. Secondly, we say, avoid the word always. Oh, you always, da 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 Oh, you always, da 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 The truth is we don't always, no one always is. I've said that sometimes. I bet nobody else here has ever done that, have you? You know, are you always? It's just not true. That's not being a person of integrity. Because actually you're speaking an untruth to make your point, which loses its validity as soon as you bring that untruth into it. So don't use the word always, because always doesn't work. And thirdly, we say, don't use the word never. Oh, you never wash up, or you never help out, or you never whatever it might be. Because that's not true either. Because that doesn't happen in any relationship. You can't say you never, because we do. So that undermines anything you're going to say. So the person, if we're to be people who seek the wisdom from above, in our relationships, that our relationships would reflect our relationship with our Saviour Christ, that we would know God as part of our relationships, we'll be peacemakers. And to be a peacemaker, just don't compare. Don't say always and don't say never. Seek to bring peace into your relationships. Thirdly, he says this, he says, but wisdom from above... It's first of all pure, it's also peace-loving, and it's gentle at all times. That means we'll care for others' feelings. James says that wise people are people who are gentle, who are considerate, who don't ignore the feelings of others. If I'm wise, I won't ignore people's feelings. I wonder if you've ever been part of one of those discussions where you've had someone at the table say, you know, I've had a really bad day today, and then they've explained what happened. And someone else at the table said, you know, I, I, I fell over and hurt my knee. And the next person said, well, I've had a really bad day today. I fell over and hurt my knee and my arm. And then the next person said, well, I had a bad day. I fell over and hurt my knee and my arm and my face. You know, and he goes, actually, it's not being, it's not being considerate. It's not listening. It's not understanding. The, the wise person who seeks wisdom from above will bring gentleness into relationships. Will understand and hear another person's feelings. I've learned, uh, obviously, I've learned a lot about this from Lindsay, but particularly, <laughs> particularly since she's... Uh, qualified as a systemic therapist and the, the ability to listen and to process what other people are saying. I still get it wrong, but, but that ability to bring out the good in somebody else and help them to see the good in themselves as a wonderful gift and it comes through that gift of gentleness. Number four, he doesn't stop there though. He says, but wisdom from above is first of all pure, it's also peace-loving, it's gentle, and it's willing to yield to others. In other words, we'll submit to one another. Paul says it in Ephesians 
421, doesn't it? He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What does it mean to be, Ephesians 5:21? what does it mean to be submissive to one another? Well, to, be, to submit to one another means to be open to another, to listen and to hear from them, to receive them from them, to submit to one another, somebody else's ideas. Now, I, there is a certain stage in life when, particularly with teenagers, when um, everything becomes absolutely black and white. It's either this or it's that. And there's no sort of fudge in the middle. There's no sort of, you know, questionable area. There's no gray area. Of course, we're all good Anglicans here, so we have to have lots of gray areas. But it's, 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 there's, the, there's, that, there's that black or white. It's this or that. And the trouble with that is that you make up your mind and you sit one side of the fence and everybody else is wrong. And, and you don't bother to turn and to listen and to hear what another person might say. To submit, be submissive is to say, I will stop and I will listen to your idea. And the wise person can learn from anybody. And, and, and it's probably true that in most of us, most of us are oversensitive when someone makes a suggestion to us and we can take it as a personal criticism or even become defensive. I am the worst person at doing this. Uh, you know, I, I, Lindsay will suggest something and I'll say, why are you picking on me? What have I done? And actually it's just a suggestion. But I, no one, anybody else here ever do that? You get, just get defensive and you think they're picking and, and it's so easy to do. But actually, actually, if we're submissive, if we submit to one another, we'll stop and we'll pause and we won't feel defensive about it, but we'll listen to what they say. But he doesn't stop there. This is such an amazing verse. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It's also peace loving. It's gentle at all times. It's willing to yield to others. And it's full of mercy and good deeds. The wise person is going to be full of mercy and good deeds. I wonder if you're somebody who jumps on anybody every time they make a mistake. You point out every time they fail. That's the complete opposite to what James is talking about here. He's saying, look, the wisdom from above says that we'll be full of mercy and grace. One of the things that is so attractive about following Jesus is that he never picked on anybody. He never said, you wretched sinner, you terrible person, look at your life, what a sham. He never said any of that. Wherever they were, whatever they were doing, whatever was going on in their life, he said, Come follow me. Here's the direction for change. Here's the hope for tomorrow. Here's the opportunity of new beginnings. Here's the second chance. Here's why we, when we, where we might lift you up, pick you up, dust you down, start you again. We've, uh, Linz and I have sat with many married couples now. Some, sometimes they've come to us at a point of divorce and uh, we could introduce you to them over the years and they're now still firmly together and happily married and, and do you know where it's come from? It's come from just stopping and going whoa, rather than just going down that road let's just pause <laughs> and let's just look at what good there is and what hope there is and where you might begin again 
and let's see if we can pick this up. And that that you had in the third beginning, let's see if we can find that again. And so often you can, just need to remove a few trees that are in the way. And then you can find the way forward. It's about being someone of mercy. A person of mercy will give you what you need in life, not what you deserve in life. Therefore, if we make a mistake, someone will pick us up, dust us down, and enable us to start again. Proverbs 17 verse 9 says this, Love forgets mistakes, nagging about them parts even the best of friends. Love forgets mistakes, nagging about them parts even the best of friends. If you're wise, you won't rub it into somebody else's life. You'll rub it out and forget about it and move on. Don't hold it over your friend's head. Don't hold it over your partner's head. If we are wise, we will move on and encourage one another. But it's not just full of mercy, it's full of good fruit, good deeds. It's all about actions. It's about being a doer of the word. Not about saying, I love you, but about showing I love you. Putting feet to your feelings. Demonstrating to your partner, your friends, your extended family, your work colleagues, that you want to be in good relationship with them. And finally, he says this, but the wisdom from above it's first of all pure, it's peace-loving, it's gentle at all times, it's willing to yield to others, it's full of mercy and good deeds, and it shows no favoritism and is always sincere. You know, the impartial person, the sincere person, is the person who's straightforward in life. They're not hypocritical. James says if you're impartial and sincere, then you won't be a phony You'll be someone who, you won't be someone who wears a mask trying to be something that you're not. You'll just be who you are. What you see is what you get with a really wise person. They're genuine, real, and authentic. And so often in life, this is what happens, we try to hide our weaknesses. If I'm wise, I will not disguise my weaknesses in my relationship. People appreciate honesty. And I've discovered, what I've discovered is that the last person to have, to, that admits my weaknesses is myself. Everybody else knows them already. You're probably sitting there thinking, I can list a few for you now, Mark, while I'm listening to you. If you ask Lindsay, you could probably discover quite a lot more. If you ask others who are on the staff here, they'll be able to tell you lots. Never listen to Mark Tate. He'd, he'd expand those. But everybody, everybody else knows our weaknesses. They all know our weaknesses before we do. They, they, they're aware of them before we're aware of them. So why hide them? Why not just be honest in your relationships together? Why go around pretending that you don't have them? Well, that all sounds very good, but how do we get there? How do you get there? How do you get there so you have God's wisdom in your relationships? Well, do I just make a New Year's resolution from today? I'm going to be wise? No, we don't. To get wisdom, we have to look up. Right back at the beginning of James, chapter 1, verse 5, it says this. 
if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. If you lack wisdom, look up to God. That's the first thing we need to do. Wisdom comes from God. It's, it, it, and I probably need to ask God for wisdom about 50 times a day. But true wisdom only comes from God himself. And we receive it through Jesus Christ. Colossians 2 verse 3 says this. Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If you want wisdom, it's all wrapped up in Jesus Christ. It really is that simple. It's wrapped up in the person of Jesus who comes to transform our lives and change our lives. If you want God's wisdom, you need Jesus in your life. He is the one who saves us, who helps us, who gives us a future. He is the one who, he is the one who offers resurrection. In each of our lives, whatever you state your relationships in, resurrection comes through Jesus. Hope comes through Jesus. The future's there with Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And we need to invite him into our life. We need to pray to him, God help me with my mind. Help me with my thoughts. Help me with my words. Help me with my hearing. Help me with my seeing. Help me with my heart. That I would have your wisdom in my life. Reflected in my relationships. That they would be mature relationships in Christ. And bring honor to him. And in so doing, I'll sow seeds of righteousness and peace in other people's lives. What a wonderful opportunity we have. And it all goes back simply to saying, God, I need you. I need you, and I know I need you in every relationship that I have. The wisest thing I ever did in my life was not to marry Lindsay. It was to invite Jesus in. The wisest thing I ever did was to invite Jesus in. If you're here this morning and you haven't done that yet, you have got no idea what you're missing out on. But if you invite Jesus in, the whole host of wisdom of God is available to you. And it won't just affect your life. It'll affect the lives of everybody that you interact with.